Hello everyone, this podcast was recorded before Adam Crafton broke the news on The Athletic that Manchester United were planning a return for Mason Greenwood. At this point, I'd like to point you in the direction of a separate episode with myself, Andy, Laurie and Carl, where we discuss the situation with Greenwood. That pod is available on your feed, wherever you listen to Talk of the Devils. Thank you. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and we are in a square that Andy Mitten didn't know existed in the middle of Manchester. Someone who gets paid to talk and write about Manchester (laughs) and I'm stood in a square in the shadow of the CAS which was the tallest building in Europe when it was built in 1962 and there's other nice buildings here. I didn't know this existed, I'm ashamed. Yeah, and Andy has stood with his back to New Century, so you're going to know this square existed in no time because this is, of course, where our live show is going to be in Manchester on Monday the 4th of September. We're going to give a little bit of a tease on the podcast today to what people can expect coming to the live shows, but don't worry. If you're not coming to the shows or you're not interested in the shows whatsoever, there'll still be plenty on the pod to keep you interested. We'll reflect a little bit more on that opening win against Wolves. We'll look ahead to Tottenham. We'll say farewell to Fred. And we'll also try to make sense of Harry Maguire's future as well. But Carl, it's looking well, this place, isn't it? It's looking really well. I come here every now and again. Sad to count on a Friday to have a little beer. Uh, and they used to have a mirror shack here that did big sandwiches. So uh, that's my local Manchester lodge there, done and done, beers and sandwiches. <laughs> Should we go inside? And while we're going inside, Laurie, you can tell us about your uh, journey here because you nearly didn't make it, mate, did you? Well, that's it. Carl's, Carl obviously knows this place better than I do because he lives here. And I was looking at my Google Maps trying to figure out how to get from Piccadilly to here because it's the first time I've walked here and paying too much attention to my phone. Sorry, you shouldn't do that, I know. I nearly got run over by a tram at Piccadilly Gardens. Were you actually doing work at this point, paying attention to your phone, or were you just doom scrolling? No, no, that was, I mean, I'd just done some work, so I've had about three hours sleep because I was up late uh, writing, and you know me, I'm very slow. Uh, and then I was trying to run to you guys to make sure I wasn't too late for you. Obviously, I was a little bit. Uh, and, and I don't know, if a tram runs you over, is that like fatal? Because they, they, they travel quite slowly, don't they? No, so, no, it'll kill you. There was, so, there was quite a famous guy who got ran over a few years ago, wasn't there? It was. My, Infamous when I, guy. When I moved over to Manchester, my mum was deathly afraid of me being hit by a tram. She said, oh, you moved to Manchester, be way scared about trams. I'm like, what? what's all this going on? Did some Googles, found out it was a very famous storyline in Coronation Street. I think it was yeah. Beth's husband. Yeah, uh, Alan. Uh, Beth, yeah, Beth Blackpool. or Betty? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, Be- Betty's husband. Betty's yeah. husband got killed by a tram in, I want to say, '86. Um, no, this was the '90s. I remember it happening. Yeah. Manchester no, United cram, played cram, away cram. at QPR, and it was a talking point in the pub before the match. There you go. This is a fictional event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A fictional event. Right. Yeah. Whoa, 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 do you not know about the, the scoreboard thing with Ken and Deirdre and Mike Baldwin? Andy, tell it. I tell you that in real life, Gaudi, the architect, was knocked down and killed by a tram. True, true. So there's your, there's your Manchester-Barcelona connection, classic Andy style. But yeah, trams. Being hit by a tram, was my mum was just like, when you get to Manchester, put your phone away, both ways you cross the street, always be scared about trams, remember what happened to so-and-so's husband. It's got to be Betty's husband. Betty's husband. So, yeah. So the tram nearly robbed two incredibly creative cultural people from this earth. You know, if I'd have choked it, I would have been the same as Gauch- Gauch- Gaudi? Gauchi? Gaucho. <laughs> he did steaks. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, I don't suppose anyone tuned in to find out about 90s storylines from Coronation Street or famous people who got run over by trams. They're here to hear about Manchester United, aren't they? We're recording this a couple of days on from the Wolves game. Now you've had a little bit more time to reflect on what happened. Any further thoughts than what we had on Monday's pod? I'm pretty true to what I said after the game. I think Wolves played very well. My mum often gives me an assessment of the matches <laughs> and she often hits a nail bang on the head. What did she say? Uh, she said, I tweeted it out. This is after I'd given Andy a lift home to his mum's, by the way, which is a recurring theme. It's a valuable service. We thank you very it's much. It's all part of the sort of post-match pod experience, isn't it? Giving Andy a lift home. She said, a win is all that matters because they're getting to know each other. The first games were always like this. That bloody goalkeeper's taking no prisoners, is he? <laughs> and, and Wolves are good. They've got a man, N-E-T-O. <laughs> That's what she said. Neto is the place to go. <laughs> Carl, you've written about the issues in midfield. Uh, we're going to talk about the solution to that maybe a little bit more when we preview the game against Spurs because undoubtedly they're going to have to find a solution. What exactly did you write about? I had the help of Jeff to show me why Casemiro was such an island in central midfield there uh, and just that gap in separation between him and Mason Mount and why? What is Ten Hag looking to do? Um, so... After the game, I asked Ten Hag, you talked loads about over preseason about wanting to make Manchester United the best transition team. Uh, and I've asked them, said, well, how is that going to work in terms of defensive transition? We all think of transition as, ooh, counterattacks, but how do you get your boys back quickly enough? And he was, he gave a reasonable answer, but raised a lot of eyebrows as to what Mount is going to do to stop those midfielders running through midfield. Weren't eyebrows raised because you spoke to him in Dutch? A little bit. I, I... A little bit? <laughs> Go on, what did you say to him? No wonder you didn't answer it properly. <laughs> Uh, I went, Oi, Eric, who had it? Which is, hi, Eric, how are you? Uh, and, and then Eric looked left and right and went, huh? Oh, who had it? And then proceeded to tell me how he was doing in Dutch before I then asked the question about defensive transition. Have you learned that particular phrase in Dutch just to be able to use it in a press conference with Mr. Ten Hag, as you call him? No, so last season, uh, the very first question I asked him prior to Brighton was, hello, Mr. Ten Hag, my name is... Carl Anker van the Athletic. And then I went, that's all the Dutch I know, I'll switch into English. So that what, sounds what? very similar to English, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> what if he replies to you in Dutch? You're just going to nod. I'm getting, I'm getting better. At Dutch? How, where are you learning Dutch? Duolingo. And obviously my girlfriend is telling me off every time my Dutch pronunciation veers into German. Um, How but it's much useful. time are you speak, uh, I spending on Dutch? Well, I spend maybe 15 to 20 minutes every day practicing Dutch. And then obviously a similar amount of time watching highlights of United games trying to figure out what's going on there and you only learn it properly if you speak it yeah. so you're you know Ten Hag is giving you a valuable uh, you know accompaniment to you going <laughs> dual language this podcast already is going in directions I never expected if you can hear a little bit of background noise we're just in the kitchen area of New Century where you'll be able to enjoy a beverage or two on the night more about that a little bit later because we've got a bit of a surprise in store for that so the big thing re-watching the highlights so Ten Hag said he, he thought the defensive transition was okay. He said, we, we got back, we retreated well, but we didn't stop those counterattacks properly. Uh, and he also said that part of that came down to the front line not being defensively minded enough. So while Mount was engaging really, really high up, you had the problem where Mount was pushing really high up, Casemiro wasn't following, and also head of Mount 
you had Rashford, Garnacho, and Anthony that weren't also leading the press. So really slack front line, Wolves play over that, and then they just feasted in the gap between Mount and Casemiro. You fix that either by making your front three more active in the press, or telling Casemiro you have to follow, which then puts more pressure on your back line, or, which I think might, is more like tapping at Spurs, as you tell Mount to relax the press a little bit and not get too separated from Casemiro. I'm pulling a face as I'm saying this, as every version of said there comes with risks. Yeah, absolutely. Especially going to a place like Tottenham. Again, we will preview that a little bit later on. We need to talk about Aaron Wan-Bissaka, actually, Laurie, because we touched on him a little bit on, on Monday's pod, but actually he was a surprise of choice in a way because Diogo Delo had started that, that final um, pre-season game at Old Trafford against Lawn. So it wasn't the final one, but it was the final one for the first 11. Now it, now it seems he was the only change in terms of the feature of him in the game, what did you make of how he did? I thought he handled himself really well because there was moments again, as Carl touched on, you know, he's, he's inverting and he's he was actually like centre forward at one point. Uh, I tried to take a picture, but he was too quick for me. The, the play moved on, and he was tidy with his feet. Like he does do stuff that manages to retain possession in difficult situations. That so he's not. I mean, he did start you know his career in the academy at Crystal Palace as a forward, and it was only because he had an incredible. Um, training game against Wilfred Zahar where he just couldn't get past him where then he got converted to being a, a right back which then was quite funny obviously last season when he did that last ditch scoop tackle on Zahar as he ran through and Zahar gives the funny interview to Sky uh, Sports afterwards talking about how he's only he's the only player that can do that tackle and when I looked behind and I saw it was him I was like oh no and he did do a couple of those against Wolves actually as well um, uh, although I think he missed time wandering and got a, a yellow card. So, but I think overall he's he's showing development. I found it quite interesting speaking to him because he's not he's definitely not the most boisterous of characters. He's very reserved and quiet and and uh, collected. But if you sort of are able to get a bit of time with him, which we were really fortunately in in San Diego at the team hotel, you can kind of tease out a bit more detail from him. And and he he admitted that he you know at the start of last season. He did think that maybe his career at United um, was over or that he'd have to seek a different way about doing things. But he actually knuckled down and, and the, the setback for not being selected uh, by Eric Ten Hag and having Diogo Dello ahead of him um, made him made that hunger burn sort of um, sharper. And and I think he's he's now ahead of Diogo Dello, I think. You know, as you say, it's, it's a toss-up at the moment and, and Carl's writing that for different games, maybe Ten Hag switched it around. But I think for reliability at the moment, Wan-Bissaka's his guy. OK, well, let's hear from Wan-Bissaka then. This is him on how um, he's developing under Ten Hag and exactly what the manager is asking of him. As the manager wants, you know, that all the players have to, to give the all and do what, what he wants. You know, that's something I had to adapt to. And, you know, it's helped me and I'm comfortable doing it now. So stuff like that, you know, it's just what, I've, what the manager wants from me. Mm. And, you know, it's, and how it'll help the team. So that's what I try to improve on. What What does he want from you? What What's his sort of specific kind of instructions? Just to be more aggressive going forward. Right. You know, be in the right places. Even if you don't get the ball, right. open a space for someone else. Yeah. Overlapping runs. Is it quite complex, the, the, the sort of network that he wants from his players? Like, how, how does he, is it a case of all 11 of you will be on the pitch and he's sort of like directing it and there's certain patterns that he wants? Or is it, do you go off with the defenders yourselves or, you know, your, your winger that you might be playing with and, and to try and work on those relationships? Yeah, most like, um, on your side. So right. Me and the winger, me and the right centre half. Right. When he gets the ball, where should I be? Opposite runs with the, the winger. So, yeah, we have to build that kind of relationship. 
you want to know more about what Wan-Bissaka had to say to Laurie, of course, you can go and read the piece on The Athletic. The interview is there from a couple of weeks ago, from when the US tour was taking place. If you compare his stock to where he was a year ago, it's absolutely right what Laurie is saying. I think a lot of people wondered whether he had another future, a future at Manchester United. It got worse before he got better. If you remember that game in December at Cadiz away, he had the worst opening 10 minutes when a Cadiz 11 went 2-0 up against a pretty youthful Manchester United team. And for me, that was Aaron Wamasaka's low point as a Manchester United player. And he's got better and better. I've noticed in pre-season, especially against Arsenal in New York, he was the most advanced player. I know he's, he was trying the false nine with Jadon Sancho, but I'm thinking, what's Aaron here? Because it wasn't a one-off, was it? He was frequently in the best goal-scoring position for Manchester United. I think he, he looks he looks physically very impressive. I don't know whether he's fitter. I don't know whether anything's changed. He does have a personal... Um a guy in the gym, I don't know, a personal trainer, maybe you'd call it. I don't know why. You should know about personal trainers. You name drop them every week. Yeah, but I've noticed it's on discount with Aaron. Well, unlike Laurie. Laurie. It's got thinner, if anything, hasn't it? Just put, here's me six weeks ago before I started with this personal trainer, and here's me now. Looks exactly the same. Just a lovely pair of boxes on each picture, as we've no, no, discussed previously. Lovely. Exactly. It's interesting that Andy pick, brings up the game against what, what have you got on today? Yeah, they're awful today as well. I thought I'd put my ones on, but no. He was about to show off his boxes, which was, <sighs> we'll ignore how strange that is. Anyway, go on. It's interesting that Andy brings up the game against Cadiz because that is a moment that Ten Hag has brought up specifically is saying that's the turnaround which yeah that I mean he's saying that I can be a manager as well you're saying you're saying, that. you're saying that's his you're saying that's his low point whereas Ten Hag says that was the game where he saw some sort of utility in, in Wan-Bissaka which I always find yeah Ian's pulling the face here and I, I found that quite interesting when he said that in the interview last season I can only imagine after that game Wan-Bissaka's gone in and said look it's not working out what do I need to do and has applied himself in the interview he said that we asked him like, did you knock on his door and he's like no I just you know I just realised that Diogo Dele was his preference and I just knuckled down and worked hard now I don't know if he's been totally truthful there but in his mind he he, he seems a very calm uh, individual he's and quiet I, isn't he yeah he, he's quiet and reserved is probably the two words I would use for him and, and I think he's had to develop um, the realise the attention that you get at Man United I think that's taken some time to acclimatise too and he spoke to Zahar about that you know Zahar obviously had the same experience in 2013 he's worked on his interview technique as well I spoke to him uh, early days when he was at United and reading the transcript and hearing from him a moment ago as well you can tell that he's definitely been working on that and he's better. Was he a decent interview? Yeah, he's, he's good, it, but it is very... You kind of have to allow space for him to answer and then accept that sometimes the answers might be short and, and make sure that it's just more of a conversation, which I think all you know footballers would prefer interviews to be. It's difficult to sometimes get that. I think that the fact that he's so chilled works for and against him with Ten Hag because Ten Hag wants these kind of personalities kind of characters but actually I think maybe Ten Hag's appreciated that there are there's different ways you know different ways to skin a cat really and and that that, that measuredness has is that a word has um, it is now <laughs> has uh, enabled him to kind of come back from the brink because Ten Hag would have sold him let's have it right you know in that last summer um, the final game the final game before the World Cup break I asked Ten Hag what's going on with the backup fullbacks, Brandon Williams and Wan, and Wan Bissaka. And Ten Hag said, Williams has a real problem with uh, injuries. Uh, and he said, Wan Bissaka has a problem with injuries, illness and something else. 
And he didn't. Availability, did he say at the time or something like that? He said injury, illness, and then he used just like a very nebulous term and said wan has had some problems in in this pre-World Cup period of the season. And for intents and purposes, it looked like both of those players would be going. Whereas wan has played his way back in. Some of this is owed to the fact that Dallow has been quite inconsistent, particularly after the World Cup. It shows that there's a good player in Wan-Bissaka. Okay, he's not he's not perfect and I don't think he's going to be the starting right back in the final project that Ten Hag wants to put together but he is very good he is very good in his 1v1 defending slide tackles he's improved at defending the back post he's always been pretty clever when he underlaps as we saw with the assist for Rafael Varane so yeah against those no disrespect bottom half teams wan probably has the starting role right now and fair play if his interview technique is better, because I remember the start. I remember being stood on the other side of a barrier in Perth in 2019, and it was a huge struggle. And the travelling journalist didn't, didn't comment on it, but a newspaper in Singapore did later on in the tour. And it's not an obligation that a footballer should give interviews, but it helps and it plays into that if you can deal with the with the pressure of being a Manchester United player. So I think the fact that he can do and give a, a decent account of himself on and off the pitch, that was a great ball for Varane as well. That's just one question, guys. What do you do now then with him? Because he's got one year left on his contract and there's an option to extend it for one year. I mean, I guess you just extend it, right? Um, to protect the value. But do you give him a new contract or do you... All right, Woodward. And this is what no. I'm... T- no? Protecting value. Protect the value. It's a phrase I've not heard for a little you while. Can't, you, can't, you can't extend this contract at this point in time. I think you extend it for another year and you have him in this 1B option. But, I mean, we're talking right now and you've already reported about interest in Benjamin Pavard. And th- that game against Wolves was the first time I went, oh, actually, Pavard kind of makes sense. As an inverted fullback? Yes. So if, if you're going to keep having Shaw invert and create this box midfield and have a back three... Ticks off the one box in that Pavard says he doesn't want to be a right back anymore. He wants to be a centre back. Fine. You also tick off the box and Pavard's very good with the ball at his feet. So rather than have the problem you had against Wolves where it was Varane, Wan-Bissaka. Oh, sorry, so he's not the inverted fullback. No. He's the one keeping he's the back one three back shape three. on the right-hand side. So if you, if, you buy, if you buy Pavard, which I'm not saying is going to happen. Aggregators. <laughs> but it makes sense to have him as one of your back three when Shaw pushes up. Because Pavard's got very good quality on the ball. He can play passes forward, which alleviates the problem Wan-Bissaka and Varane had when they didn't really want to show for the ball against Wolves. And you've got the fact that Pavard is... Pavard is billed as being six foot one. I'm not doing this again. (laughs) (laughs) But that adds some necessary height to a team that has been getting shorter and shorter and shorter since Mourinho. So you'd sell Wan-Bissaka next summer then? That's the only option? At some point, you are going to need to get a better right back than Dalo and Wan-Bissaka is my belief. I think if you want to win, if you want to win a Premier League with Eric Ten Hag, you need a better right back ahead of those two. And at this point in time, Wan-Bissaka just has the lead in front of Dallow, which is again, this says more about Dallow not getting it together than Wan-Bissaka, you know, turning into this brilliant football player. Sorry, mate, you've got better, but you still do have limitations. I just remember asking a year ago someone who knows that position a lot better than I do, saying, compare him to the fullbacks at Liverpool and Manchester City, and you see a deficiency there, which leads into what, what Carl said. I still think that there is merit with keeping him, and it cost a lot of money in 2019. Now, 50 million, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 50 million. Now, I think if it would be Ed Woodward still in charge, he'd get like a 19 year contract. But I still wouldn't be surprised if he, if he stayed. But, but you're right, it's the one area, I think, of, of the United team where 
In April, we were saying, will Derek Tenag buy David De Gea? And we said, no. Would he sign Diogo Dalot or Aaron Masaka? And I would also say no to that as well. But I think you've got to credit him for improving on and off the pitch. And I'll mention that assist again. It was a lovely ball. Before we do, stop recommending Denzel Dumfries to Manchester United. I'm, I'm not having it. Just, no. Stop. Listen to your Uncle Carl. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So in all the excitement on Monday night, we didn't bid farewell to Fred, did we, Andy? No, we didn't. And I think we should do. Because I agree. he had moments where he was man in a match away at Manchester City and scored some top goals last season. All of them in front of the Stratford end, it seemed to be. On a personal level, I always found him very helpful to me as a journalist. I first spoke to him in Miami in 2018 and continued to speak to him when he had some really, really difficult times, I remember talking to him in Bern after a game against Young Boys, and he's like, I'm really, I'm really struggling. I'm finding it really difficult here. So I think he was at the club for five years. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cost a lot of money. Going to Turkey. Turkey's become like the, you know, if you're not doing the Saudi thing, Turkey's always been a reliable, will pay you top wages, live in a, you know, decent cosmopolitan city. 
and the standard of football is good, the support's good. Galatasaray's old Ali Sami Yem is probably the loudest stadium I've ever been to. And it, hell. Welcome to hell, yeah. And didn't even have a roof over most of it. So this idea that you need a roof to improve the acoustics. <laughs> Just pulling it back to Fred, will we miss him? Uh... You've answered it, Laurie. <laughs> I think you'll miss those little gem Fred. moments when he pulled an absolute worldie out of the bag and you go, and it's even more enjoyable because it's unexpected. So let's, let's say that. And I think his number's going to a happy home. I posted about this on Instagram uh, where Rasmus Hoyland, I think you, you flagged this up to me. Still no number on the back of the programme. Uh, and then every, everybody told me that he's getting 17 because he wore that Atalanta, as you had also told me. Uh, so I look after you, though. You know that. Useless information. Fred was a fantastic club servant and he helped steer a sometimes leaky ship through stormy waters at times where other players who, I'll oh, be really mean, were supposed to be better couldn't put together consistent performances and while McFred was often derided they held us through and one of my I know this isn't true but if Fred was fit United would have beat Villarreal in the Europa League final <laughs> Do you think we'll ever get McMount? Is that the, the, no. the next generation? <laughs> no Larry I don't think okay. we will um, If Harry Maguire was fit Manchester United would have beaten Villarreal in Gdansk Thank you for that segue Harry Maguire's future as we talk here now Still a Manchester United player. There's an article on The Athletic. West Ham have given up. What's going to happen with Maguire? I know. Harry's a, a, a flummox in my arm. I shouldn't ask you really, should I? <laughs> yeah. Whatever I say, just think the opposite. Um, <laughs> You're saying there's a chance. <laughs> well, listen, they agreed a fee with West Ham, 30 million. There's, I think there's various factors at play. Andy obviously touched on um, some already as well um, after Monday night's podcast. I think also there's this element of his salary, you know, in terms of West Ham being able to offer a certain level, £100,000 a week. His, his contract when United are in the Champions League is £190,000 a week. So that's 90000 gap. Over two years, that's, you know, nine million quid. It's not to be sniffed at. And he signed a contract with United for that. You know, it's, it's not him that wants to break that contract. So usually in these situations, the negotiation about a payout. I mean, Ten Hag, in response to the questions on Friday before the Wolves game, was saying that he still sees him as a potential, you know, centre-back option. And if he wants to fight and stay, then great. If, but then if he doesn't want to fight, he has to go. So it's an interesting dynamic there. The other question is, are there anyone else who would be interested in signing Harry Maguire beyond West Ham? I'll find out and I'll say it on here. I mean, as I said on Friday... It sounded like Liam Neeson then. <laughs> <laughs> I said on Friday what I knew and he'd not been given permission to talk to, to West Ham. I think if he's going to leave Manchester United, uh, I think there would be interest in him because I think he's a, he's a very good player. Well, another option, you know, could have been could maybe still be Tottenham Hotspur um, I think that would probably be more appealing to someone like Maguire uh, even though West Ham you know won the Europa Conference League last season so you know, they are in Europe as well I mean in fact Harry Kane I'm told recommended for Tottenham to go for Maguire his England teammate is that Harry Kane who on the last podcast when I said he's joining a team called Bayern Munich got what laughed out of town I think laughter is is pushing it I think we you know I in particular was 
quite quick to jump down your throat and suggest that it wasn't as clean cut as you uh, were, were suggesting. Yeah, no, Harry Kane has joined Bayern Munich, hasn't he? In my defence, I was told that he was very much having doubts about going to Bayern Munich very late in the day. And I'm claiming that David Ornstein's backing me up there, but then David Ornstein also broke the news that they'd agreed a fee <laughs> and then he'd agreed and then he was on a flight and then he's made his debut for Bayern Munich. So all I will say is that he was in my fantasy football team when I said that. So I, I did have the courage of my convictions, but I subbed him out when obviously he then, uh, you know, signed for somebody else, put Alexander Isaac in and I'm top of the league. You'll see images in May of Harry Kane lifting the Bundesliga title and Laurie being convinced that he still plays for Spurs. <laughs> It'll be photoshopping a Spurs badge onto the white shirt that Kane's made his debut in. Anyway, more on a Kane-less Tottenham Hotspur in just a moment. Okay, let's preview the match then against Tottenham Hotspur this weekend. Uh, there's a couple of quite revealing articles on The Athletic which show a, a much-changed Tottenham performance against Brentford, a 2-2 draw, which it's a difficult place to go as sort of teams have found in the past and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But there was four debutants in that starting lineup for Spurs, which is the most they've ever had at the start of a new Premier League season. Wow. A new manager as well um, and a completely different style obviously missing someone that Laurie thought would be playing too. How difficult is this going to be? What do you think this new Spurs are going to pose United in terms of problems this weekend and opportunity? Oh, it's going to be a real test. This is, I'm going to try my best not to call him Big Ange in the same way we call everyone Big Sam. Um, but Postadegu is... Postacoglu. Just call him Big Ange. Yeah. I'm just going to call him yeah. Big Ange. Era of Big Ange is all about... <laughs> Uh, inverted fullbacks, which was interesting in that Spurs' fullbacks are, like Luke Shaw, very good on the overlaps. But they, they too are going for this inverted fullbacks, box midfield. I think you're going to see this happen a lot this season because teams now want more control and more protection against It's got trendy, hasn't it? Trendy, and, and it's, it's just the best way to stop counters. If you've got your fullback in, in, in midfield, the idea is that person there can make a little tactical wink-wink foul when someone's charging through central midfield. If you're James Madison and you watch United against Wolves, you're looking at those pockets of space that you can access there. Casemiro and Mount really need to talk to each other a lot more. I think one good point is Richarlison was fine rather than fantastic against Brentford. Uh, but yeah, United very much need to be awake to the threats they've got there. Son is an interesting challenge here because if they had Son hold a lot of width against Brentford, which I don't think is a great thing for Spurs because... For all Son's good, if streaky shooting talent, he's not the best in 1v1 going past the fullback. So Wan-Bissaka might get another you know, run out ahead of Dalla. Yeah, and as Liam Tharm's written on The Athletic as well, not only did the fullbacks invert, but Adogi and Emerson, who were the, were the choices, were pushing forward. You were surprised about Wan-Bissaka being so far forward for United. Well, those two consistently during that game and considering United had the problems in midfield against Wolves, that's going to be a huge area to address. I spoke to Tottenham fans who go every week and they've been really encouraged, even though it's early days, with their new manager, with their attacking style. They absolutely didn't feel like that with their previous managers, especially Antonio Conte. And just speaking to them gave me a sense of a club which has got a lot of things that are amiss at the moment. So on one hand, I'm saying you've got this wonderful new stadium, you've got the best training ground in the country, and yet the fans are singing for Daniel Levy to go. There's been a complete breakdown in communication. There's lots of side issues there. Ticket prices for non-season ticket holders are among the, the highest in Europe. There's been too many managerial changes. 
Money's been squandered, starting right back from, from the Gareth Bale uh, money. And I was surprised at the level of disharmony among Tottenham supporters who I respect because they've become a, they've always been a big glamorous club, but they're, they're punching now financially because of the new stadium and what that brings in. But you could say that they've underachieved. I know they, 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 it's written into their constitution that they're not allowed to ever win a trophy. And they're getting pretty close. This is a team who in 2019 reached the Champions League final. The worst but, Champions League final I've watched in a very long time. But I don't remember <laughs> he won that, do you? I had to sit in the stadium and watch that, mate, telling you. Surrounded by... Never on ball, was it? Never on ball. Just, no, it's, it it's really interesting in that, obviously, Ten Hag is Manchester United manager in part because of Lucas Moura and that work to get to their Champions League final. And if you speak to a Liverpool fan on a bad day when they've had too many points, they might admit to you that they were quite afraid of playing that Ajax team. The interesting thing about this Spurs, and like you said, you know, they've had two or three managers that very much look like they didn't want to be there. And they very much look like they want to go to somewhere else. You know, Conte celebrated his birthday this summer in Italy again, and he looks far happier and better rested now than he ever did when he was at Spurs. Whereas Ange, sorry. Um, Koglu, go on, Carl, try Mr. again. Poster Koglu. <laughs> Mr. Go on. There we go. Looks like he genuinely wants to be the Spurs manager. He took the longer, more circuitous route to the top table of management. He looks like he really wants to be at Spurs. He's implementing a style that is, like I say, very trendy. This 4-3-3, four, four, inverted, fullbacks, your wingers push up really, really high. You protect against your central midfield. That's what Ten Hag tried to do against Wolves. This is, at some point, it's going to be who can win their 1v1 duels out wide. And at the moment, you've got Anthony, who, okay, maybe start using his right foot. Garnacho, who looked a bit shaky, uh, against Son, who very, very streaky. In, you know, if he scores, he scores in spurts, but not the best in terms of beating your fullback. And then... Kulisevsky. Yeah, who ha hasn't really kicked on since that loan deal got made permanent. So, look, it could be a 3-3 absolute chaos draw. It could be a 1-0 whatever that makes Man City go, ah, well, we don't have to worry about anything. Do you know, um, and you talking there made me think about it as well, the pre-season games that you saw firsthand, Larry, where Kobe Miner had started in the midfield and maybe it has to be a, a McTominay or an Ericsson as well as Mount, do you think that's the way that Ten Hag will go in this game, to add an extra man in that area to try and solve some of the problems that Spurs are likely to cause that Carl was talking about and some of the issues that they had against Wolves as well? Could you see that? Yeah, I don't think you want to let Madison just have his time on the ball and, and, and pick those pockets. He you know, played really well against Brentford. Um, and he's, he, I think that's a really good move for him. He's going to be the number 10 at Tottenham, you know, undoubtedly so he's got that platform to shine um, it's on his back for a start but there we go yeah well, he got it from some player that I don't know where did he get that from um, to Dortmund <laughs> yeah I, I can imagine Tenag wanting to make a bit of a tweak I, I don't know if he, he would want to change too much though because he's obviously you know the whole pre-season tried to implement this and, and obviously with his coaching but not um, those games not the Arsenal game or the way they started against Real Madrid yeah I, I feel like Tottenham you, it you should like you wish Fred was still here doesn't it? <laughs> Getting back. Is it too late? Um, I do feel that Tottenham can be got at, though. Like, I know that they obviously played well and kind of were on the front foot, but I do feel like there's, there's still that sort of soft underbelly um, saying, to them. You're saying lads at Spurs. 
Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Some of United's best performances in recent years have been at Spurs away. You're going to mention the 3-0 with Cavani and Ronaldo up front, aren't you? There was that one. I remember one of the final games at White Hart Lane where I don't think Manchester United won. I think it was New Year's Day, about 16, 17. And um, the first half, United were absolutely incredible, but didn't win the game. And then Ollie's last win, was it? Last away win? Uh, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was really good. I think it was actually his last away win. And even last season in the first half. So, the second half. We won't mention the second half. We won't half. mention the second half. I think my point is Manchester United can play at Tottenham and have consistently done so, even if the results haven't always been great. Brilliant. Well, I don't know about you lads, but I like getting together and doing these, don't you? I love it. Twice in a week we're being spoiled, aren't we? What a treat. Let me go get some teasers. Let's go and get some. You brought another bag, didn't you? You had, a, you had a bag on Monday night, another bag today. It's like Andy's birthday. I, I appreciate Carl bringing these Maltesers, and I now want to go and see the venue where we're having the live show because I've not seen it yet. Yeah, we're going to take Andy upstairs to have a first look on that. I'll see if I can record a little bit, but if you don't hear it, that means that I couldn't record it. And while we're going upstairs, we've got a little surprise. <laughs> Okay, we've come down to the bar area of New Century now and we've got Adam, the bar manager, with us. Thank you, Adam, for doing this. No problem. How you doing? And equally as exciting, we've got two exotic-looking drinks that Andy Mitten will be sweating over. He'll be gutted he's not come down for this bit. Um, what are we looking at? Uh, so we've got two. One of them, the name's still pending. In fact, should I keep both the names? Keep the names a secret, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tease people I'll, a bit. I'll let, you, I'll let you guys reveal that one. Um, so we've got a taller Spritz-style cocktail, uh, and a shorter, bit more serious one. So the shorter, more serious one, bit of inspiration from sort of all my favourite drinks, Sazerac's, Fucarets, Boulevardier's, all sort of serious whiskey-based sort of sippers. Um, that one, uh, I believe you guys are a fan of Amaretto, um, Benedictine and stuff like that. So I've really lent into that. I've put a bit of Amaretto in it. Benedictine, sort of one of the core flavours from a Vucare anyway. So sort of, that was where I started. Just thought I'd throw the Amaretto into it. Played around with it a little bit. Um, and just hopefully it's nice and well balanced while still giving you a nice bit of a kick to it. And then the taller one is a twist on an El Diablo, which is a classic. I thought it'd be a bit fitting with the red. with the red and devil's theme of it. Um, so yeah, it's an El Diablo. It's just a nice long tequila-based cocktail, um, but I've subbed out one of the original ingredients, which is cranberry juice, and just replaced that with an Italian blood orange soda. Gives it a bit more of a, a fruity vibe to it, a bit more of a sparkle to it with the with the bubbles in it and it should be a, a lot nicer drink going down absolutely love the effort that it's gone to Laurie you're salivating already and you've not tried them yet <laughs> incredible work Adam I'm loving this um, it's the detail right so we obviously gave him a little bit of an insight into the kind of stuff we talk about but to actually combine it all into drinks that look fantastic and yeah they'll be available on the night at the live show right well if the taste test goes well which I'm sure it will Carl any of those tickling your fancy before I get you to taste them absolutely I like drinking Sazerac so I'm going to be uh, drinking this short one a couple of times maybe one before and one after the show <laughs> bit of Dutch curry never did anyone any harm no. should we have a go let's have a go go on then Laurie oh, well, are you going for the short one I'll go for the tall one sorry so Laurie has just put a very tall glass with a ready pink Sparkly liquid, the fingers have come out. So it's, it's quite zesty, so that's the grapefruit, right? Uh, yeah. And um, that I could drink those, like, you know, warm summer's day uh, outside, 
Andy, I know, I'm, I'm kind of doing myself in here. Andy's, I'm giving him too much ammo here already. And some of these names that uh, Adam was mentioning, Andy's just like, his head's going to explode. Because you know what the, the origin of this is? So the amaretto uh, is, the, is the spark of all this. Because I ordered an amaretto on ice uh, in a Newcastle uh, hotel lobby after the, ga- after the game. And Andy was just like mind blown. He'd never heard of amaretto before. So that's what we're dealing with here, Adam. <laughs> Yeah, if he's never heard of Amaretto before, some of the words you come out with earlier, Easy has going to have no idea. Carl, do you want to try the other one? Yes, please. Here we go. So this is a shorter, more darker red, slightly orangey liquor. Oh, that's nice. That's very nice. Yeah, it's like, the whiskey's not too heavy. There's a sweetness to it. <laughs> what do you sound like? Well, I, you know, I used to be a bartender in a past yeah. life. Whiskey's not too heavy, there's a sweetness to it, and the aftertaste... It doesn't linger too long. So, yeah, you can just keep sipping that. And then, yeah, definitely when you can have three or four. Uh, but maybe once you have five or six, you start texting people things you shouldn't be texting. <laughs> I can smell the alcohol from here, so I know exactly what you mean on that. Do you want to try the opposite ones, yeah, then? Let's, let's swap it around. They're now simultaneously sipping. Ooh. So, I, is that a little bit old-fashioned-y? Or no? Yeah, have I- so- um, yeah, so it's a stirred down drink. There is a whiskey base to it. Um, obviously, there's Benedictine in there, which is a little bit more complex, really sort of herbaceous. Um, and then there's also some amaretto in there, which obviously adds the sweetness and ticks, ticks the amaretto box as well at the same time. <laughs> that is so nice. I, I don't know which one I prefer, you know. They're both very different, aren't they, which I, which I love. So you can have, you know... Uh... One of each is a balanced diet, isn't it? One for each hand. <laughs> this one's got like a lemonade finish to it. We're going to put pictures of these up on our social media as well so people can see what the lads are trying. Yeah, this one will finish a lot quicker than the short drink. So that's the danger one that I'll stay away from on the live show. <laughs> not because it's not good, but because I just drink it too quickly. No, that's definitely the, the sneaky one, I think. The, uh, the, the stirred one, obviously a little bit more serious. You can, you can taste the booze in it a lot more, so it's sort of... It's, it's a warning while you're drinking it. You're aware that it's quite boozy, whereas, yeah, the tall one's a, a big summer sipper that you can easily have a few out on the terrace, so to speak. I'm absolutely loving your passion for this. Are you a football fan at all? Yes. Who'd you follow? Uh, oh, no. Oh, no. Um, a different red team. Not, Nottingham Forest? Wrexham's big now. Wrexham, yeah. Yeah, Wrexham is big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that, that is why we should be even more grateful, I think, Adam. You know, you've done this out of the kindness of your heart rather than any particular affiliation with United. Yeah, I think, ironically, myself, the general manager and the venue manager all follow the same team. Um, uh, can we cancel the <laughs> event in September? Is that possible? Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a bit more of a project. It's something to sort of sink my teeth into and, and have a bit of fun with. Um, I just hope you like the names once they're released as well. Yeah, as long as you don't mention Kenny Dalgleish or John Barnes or Stephen Gerrard in any way or anything to do with Istanbul. What were you going to say? Ince, maybe. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, but Adam, thank you very much for doing it no with no us. Problem. Thank you for having me. Look forward to having him on the night, mate. Cheers. You've had a quick nosy, Andy. Uh, you don't want to know what we've just been up to, but what did you think? I'm really looking forward to it. Big night in Manchester. So this is still tickets left. There's still tickets. There certainly is. Just a handful. September the 4th here at New Century. Go to myticket.co.uk. 
get yourselves down here. We've got loads of stuff planned. Today has just been a tiny little tease. Uh, and if you're not bothered about any of it, I'm really sorry that it's dominated sections of this podcast. But I hope you enjoyed the bit on Fred, on Harry Kane, Harry Maguire, the preview to Tottenham and everything else. Thank you very much for being with us. Enjoyed it, boys. Carl, thank you as well. Always a pleasure, mate. Laurie's just taken his 84th selfie of our little trip to New Century. Thank you, Laurie. I just like to let the listeners in on the visuals sometimes uh, to give them, to, to whet the appetite. Yeah, and to attract more followers on Instagram as well. Thank you for listening at home as well. We'll see you after Spurs, whatever happens. Take care. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.